This evening's reading is from Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11, page 1180 in the Blue Church Bibles. Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11, 1180 in the Blue Church Bibles. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And now we will hear from Jeff Gobert. Well, good evening. I wonder if I may turn you to that passage we had this evening just read for us. We turn, therefore, to Philippians chapter 3. And it's my privilege to speak this this, uh, Easter Day evening. And I'm focusing particularly on verse 10 going into verse 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I wonder, do we realise as believers, if you are a believer this evening, you often are confronted with grave spiritual danger. We can perhaps look back in our lives and remember times when we were under extraordinary difficulty and satanic attack. Grave spiritual danger. It sounds strange to us, doesn't it? But sadly, we're living in this world 
and we experience this. Sometimes it happens when we least expect it. I can look back at one experience I had many years ago when I was a first-year theological student in the common room, the junior common room. That was a long time ago. Autumn 1968, 55 years. The memory's still fresh. There we were as students reflecting on the past day in the junior common room. And frankly, the mood and the atmosphere was difficult to say the least. The mood often was blasé and flippant and cynical as we reflected on the past day's lectures and what we'd learnt. How shattering that was for me as a new, naive, first-year theological student. To think of such wonderful truths in such a flippant, irreverent way was devastating to me. And when we think of the wonderful truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus... We recognise, don't we, that it brings joy to our hearts. Well, my heart is joyful this evening. On the resurrection, it's a joyful, joyful occasion when we can reflect on the greatness and the glory that Jesus is the victor. That by his death, he has destroyed him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, And free those who all their lifetime were held in bondage by their fear of death. And Jesus has done this by his resurrection. Glorious and wonderful. Without the resurrection there's no gospel and no church and no Christian faith. And we know this if we're believers this evening. And thus we must affirm this great truth reverently and with worship and praise. But for a student, a first year, second year student in a junior common room, to say this, I I see the, the resurrection as an apologetic. To hear that and to witness that was nothing short than tragic. Or to say, ah, for me, For me, you know, the resurrection is a great stimulus to my intellectual development. Or I see see the resurrection in merely theological terms. No. To hear that was shattering. And God had to deal with me. He had to deal with me. I cried to him, surely, Lord, this is not my lot of cynicism and flippancy over sacred truths? Surely not. That's not what I came to Bible college for. And the Lord helped me and answered my prayers. He showed me two men. The works of John Bunyan and the ministry of A.W. Tozer. And God used that to 
guard my heart against blasé cynicism. I must say this evening, in all honesty, that the resurrection is far more than a mere doctrine, my friends. It's always important to know this truth, that truth and doctrine must be experienced. True religions, more than notion, something must be known and felt. And see, there's a great danger, is there not, in knowing God's revealed truth in theory only. That is devastating. And I'm speaking to folks here who perhaps know about the Lord Jesus, either here in the church or watching online. But I must say this, you need to know him. Not about him, but to know him. God's word is to be known personally and practically. If the Bible and the truth it contains is for the mind only and for intellectual stimulation that leaves the heart untouched, I must tell you, in all frankness, it's worse than useless. I knew many years ago an able expositor of the Bible. But the glaring fault of his ministry was this, that he had failed to apply the word. It led inevitably to grave unbalance. The fact is today, we rejoice and are glad in the glorious, wonderful truth of the resurrection. And we are to know, we are to know that glorious saviour. We are to know his resurrection power as believers. Not just know about it, to know it. Because this is the aspiration of the Apostle Paul. This is what he wanted. This is his desire. He says this, I I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So this evening I want to speak on this wonderful truth and for me it's a A great privilege this evening. The power of his resurrection. This verse comes from one of the most precious portions of the New Testament. The letter to the Philippians. It's a prison letter. It's written in prison. Although you would hardly think that so when you read it. It seems so positive. So optimistic. So encouraging, you would hardly think it's written in prison. But it is. He he mentions this. I find this wonderful and ironic. Here he is in prison, Paul, incarcerated, writes to encourage those at liberty who are discouraged, 
So this is what he does. This is a letter of encouragement in many respects. He writes to encourage. He writes to thank the church at Philippi for their generosity and practical help. But also he warns them. This is a, he says, uh, be on your guard. There's dangers abroad. Let us not be naive to think that the battle is behind us. No, it's before us and amongst us often. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. So it's a frank letter. And he, he writes pastorally as well. He writes to encourage and uh, plead for unity. There were some sisters had fallen out with each other. It does happen in church life, you know. You think, oh, it's wonderful. Every, everything's different in church life. No, it's not, actually, because there are problems and difficulties and folks falling out with each other. And so Paul says, I plead with you, Odia. I plead with Sinchichi to be of the same mind. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. What a wonderful, generous, pastoral-hearted theologian he was, the Apostle Paul. There's that wonderful hymn of praise in chapter 2, of course, of the Lord Jesus. And the example of steadfastness and magnanimity in chapter 1. It's a wonderful portion to read the whole epistle if you're low if you're feeling a bit discouraged or depressed this is a wonderful cordial and I I can heartily recommend it to you there's the account for chapter 3 the account of the past verses 4 to 8 there is the uh, desires for the present 9 to 12 and the future 13 14. Paul writes as a Christian, a Christian that knows the Lord Jesus, a Christian that's been incarcerated and yet using his time to witness to those guards chained to him during his incarceration. And everyone in the prison and environs knew he was there for the gospel's sake. Yes, he says, I know the Lord, but I want to know him more. I want to know him more. And this is a challenge to you and me, my friends. Have we an aspiration this evening to know more of the Lord Jesus Christ? This is a challenge I want to put to myself and to you this evening. And I've got some things to unburden myself from, uh, the points here, and, and share with you. There are briefly five things to say. Here, firstly, here is the believer's priority. This is what he says in verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. This is always first. Or rather, we would say, he, he is always first. 
as I painfully discovered as a first-year theological student in autumn 1968. There is a danger, a very severe danger, of studying doctrine and principles and precepts apart from a growing, developing love for the Lord Jesus. Here we see the, uh, the gracious work of the Lord here, and we're thankful for it. I want to know the Lord. I want to know him. Here we are humbled by the example of the Lord Jesus, of, of Paul. Here's the antidote for the bane of apathy and indifference that can so soon imbibe us. Do you know something about this? Do you know something that you, you can become apathetic and casual and indifferent and lose that desire for the Lord himself how sad it is when that happens well he's not satisfied with his walk thus far he's been a great apostle a great church planter a great pastor a great encourager he knows the Lord but he wants to know him more Shall we make a a pact, all of us this evening, Christian brothers, Christian sisters? Shall we do away with apathy in our lives? Shall we ban its presence from Highfields Church? I think we ought to. Easier said than done. It's down to me and it's down to you, individual believer, to say this. In our hearts this evening. I I want to know him. I want to know him. I think here Paul is fulfilling the. One of the wonderful beatitudes of the Lord Jesus. Blessed are they. That hunger. And thirst. For righteousness. That's what he's doing here. He's hungering. And he's thirsting. Here then is the believer's priority. And the second thing I want to draw out with you this evening is this. Here is the believer's need. Well, let me look at that verse in the beginning. What do I mean by that? What does Paul say? I want. So how would we fill up that word, that, the rest of that sentence, I wonder? I want. Now, left to ourselves, we would say, I want my freedom. I want to be free of a jail, this stinking jail, and I'm chained to a guard 24-7. I want my freedom. I want to be free to set the record straight because there are those outside Bad-mouthing me. There they are. Some preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. Others out of goodwill. Why are they preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry? They just want to make a pop at 
the Apostle Paul. They've got a grievance. And he, he would say, would he not? I want to be free to put the record straight. I want to be free to clear my reputation. But no. What does he say? This is staggering. I want to know Christ. I want to know him. It's a revealing thing, isn't it? Would you say this This reveals more of the Apostle Paul than anything else he's written? He wants to know Jesus, the risen Jesus, the power of the risen Christ. I want to know him. I'm not content to know this second hand. I don't want to know about him. I want to know him. What is a very interesting question to ask one and another, myself included? What do we want at this point in time in our lives? Here am I. My ministry is almost over. The Lord is soon to take me in my late 70s. What do I want? Well, I, well, I, want, I want to be secure. No. no. Well, I, I can say that, but I'd be wrong to say it. I want to be healthy. Well, yes, I do. But supremely, I, I, I pray this to God. Lord, help me know you more and more. It's knowing the character of Jesus. Knowing a personal development. Sharing with him Loving him, having him direct and lead and guide. This is so important, is it not? Romans, Romans 8 verse 9. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters to know him do you want to know him to love him and to serve him and those watching is that your aspiration too may I ask this that character of Jesus transformed in our lives by his risen power to love and serve him and glorify him and speak of him and see him vindicated in this cruel, evil world. Do you not aspire for that? I, I certainly do. Can this be possible? Recognising the strength of sin within us? We do recognise that sin within us, don't we? Well, I certainly do. And the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 7. When I would do good, evil's right there. Really? Yes, really. And the only way of victory over indwelling sin, my friends, is the power of the risen Christ. Is it possible, you say? Yes, it is, praise God. Because the Bible says it is. Here is the believer's priority 
here is the believer's assurance. Thirdly, here is the believer's assurance. To know him is to know the power of his resurrection. I've lived a long life and a very happy life. By God's grace, it's been a very fulfilled life. I've most of my ministry behind me. And I thank God for for that. My wife, who's been by my side, it's been a wonderful opportunity to get to know many people and to enter into their lives and ours into theirs, theirs into ours. We've had friends, Christian friends over the years and it's been a wonderful privilege to have those brothers and sisters help us in our walk and we help them in their walk. And I've noticed this as the friendship grew in length of years, so it developed. The friendship developed. And it was a wonderful privilege. But, as we know, death intervenes. We've had many good and godly Christian friends, brothers and sisters, We've gone to be with Jesus. The relationship finished. There was no growth in the relationship then when we said goodbye at the graveyard. I can think of many dear friends who I was privileged to take their funeral service I said goodbye to. The friendship ceased. It finished. There was no growing, no developing. But of the Lord Jesus, I thought of this. The child of God can say, I want to know him because he's still alive. He's still alive. But when he was dead, for those three days, I, I couldn't know him because he was dead. No possibility of a relationship with Jesus when he's dead. No, none whatsoever. Ah, ah, but it's different when he's alive. I can know him. And I can have a growing, developing, deepening relationship with him. Because he's gloriously alive. To know him personally and intimately and love him. And serve him. My friends, is that your aspiration? I want to ask you personally. As if I was talking to you in my lounge at home. Do you know him? Do you love him? And do you want to serve him? Oh, well, I know about him. Well, I'm not talking about a knowing about. I'm I'm talking about knowing him. And those watching, you've perhaps had a study of Christology. You've uh, got a book out of the library and you've read it and you're quite interested. You know about Jesus. I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus, my friends. I'm talking about knowing him. Him. The friend that sticks closer than the brother. 
when everybody else forsakes you. To have him, him, never forsaking you. And that relationship, because he's alive forevermore, it's a developing relationship, a growing relationship, a deepening relationship. Why? Because he's alive. I want to know him, says Paul. I want to know him. Paul, don't you want to be free from jail? That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. But this matters. Knowing him. Knowing him. Here's the believer's assurance. And then fourthly, here's the believer's enabling. This is a wonderful expression. It's truly staggering. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Because that's the only way to defeat indwelling sin. The power of the Holy Spirit using the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, someone say when they haven't really thought that through, oh, well, I'll buy into that. That's all right. That's great. Ah, hold on a minute. And participation in his sufferings. Oh, ah, step back. Step back. I didn't buy into that. Well, you, if you are a Christian and you know Jesus and you want to know him more, you do buy into that. That's a fact. This is what we need, don't we? To know him. The power of his resurrection. And that power is needed today in our lives. And Ephesians tells us that that Resurrection power is glorious that that is really how we got saved. How you and I got saved, friends. It's amazing, but true. Ephesians 1, 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as his, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. When you got saved, when I got saved... The mighty resurrection power of Jesus was at work. Praise God. Oh, Lord, thank you. What else could save a recalcitrant 17 and a half year old kid in 1963? Resurrection power of Jesus. That's it. And that power is that we know his reality in daily life. We can go through the scriptures and my time is nearly gone. But let me tell you this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was a Trinitarian act of the sovereign God. We read in Acts chapter 2, 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. By God the Son, John chapter 10, 
and verse 18. This is what Jesus said. No one takes it from me, my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And by the gracious empowering of God, the Holy Spirit, 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. My friends, this is a Trinitarian work of God. Your salvation and mine and the resurrection of Jesus. And so it means that your Christian life and mine is to be nurturing this relationship with Jesus Christ. And we need this great Trinitarian power in our lives by God to bring that to pass. So am I to just read the Bible in a nonchalant, irreverent, cynical way which doesn't affect me? No. I repent of that and say, Lord Jesus Christ, make your word live to me. Make your word live to me. More about Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful promise mine. And the last thing is, here is the believer's anticipation. It's a phrase that is a shock. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, I don't know about that, says one. That's what Paul says. Suffering first, glory follows. Always, always that order. Never glory first, suffering afterwards. No, glory, glory follows suffering. And so somehow, coming like him in his death, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Well, that's not easy. Of course it's not easy. But if you're going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, my friends, when you say no to this world and to this world's culture, this means suffering. It, it does, really. It means the Christian life, not a cheap life. We don't believe in cheap grace, my friends. It means following Jesus when it's painful to follow him. When the world takes note and despises us because of it. Yes, yes, if necessary. We won't be particularly obnoxious, but we will not compromise the truth and that will involve suffering. Death to self. So this is why Paul would say, I die daily. So be prepared for this. Now, I hope you don't get me wrong this evening. We're not to live the Christian life through clenched teeth and clenched fists. I've known too much of that from others in my Christian walk. No, I... Avoid that completely. 
No, we don't live a, a kind of rigid determinism, you know. No, no, let's be joy and gladness. To be conformed to Jesus in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. To be like him. To have his character replicated in us. And you don't know it because God gives to you no sense of pride. But you know him and you love him. These words in Philippians 3 show us the extent of Paul's desire and commitment. What of your commitment and mine? Prison couldn't diminish this desire from Paul. He, wanted, he knew Jesus, of course he knew him. But he wants to know him more. To know him more. My friends, this is a delightful possibility in the mercy and grace of God that he provides all things by which we may know him in a more intimate and growing in a developing way. Because that is what the Christian life is all about. Can I ask you this? Have you signed up? What a wonderful thing to be a Christian, isn't it? To know the Lord and to love him. And you can. You think, oh, I'm not too sure about that. Well, you know what Jesus does? He, he gives you tonight, here in the church here and on, online, he gives you an invitation. Come unto me, all you who are laboring and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart I give grace mercy and love all these things are yours potentially if you take them by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ let these wonderful words my friends these wonderful words reflect our passionate desire to know Jesus increasingly in his resurrection glory and may it be so let's pray father thank you so much for your love your kindness and your grace in jesus name amen